Guardian Unlimited. Mr. Chancellor of the Exchequer. In, Mr. Deputy Speaker, in this uh, my 11th budget, my report to the country is of rising employment and rising investment, continuing low inflation and low interest and mortgage rates. And this is a budget to expand prosperity and fairness for Britain's families, and it is built on the foundation of the longest period of economic stability and sustained economic growth in our country's history. Mr Deputy Speaker, I'm told that in the last two centuries, only one Chancellor before now has delivered 11 budgets, and then a 12th. And that was when Mr Gladstone combined the position of Chancellor with Prime Minister. Something, 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 Mr Deputy Speaker, no one should ever contemplate doing again. And as I, um, and as I report on the economy and on the public finances and the progress we made, uh, let me also thank for the hard work and on occasion their forthright advice the civil servant, <laughs> should I say the comrades that I have worked with in budgets present and past. Mr Deputy Speaker, this budget will set out the long-term reforms we must now make to meet the global challenges ahead and to build a Britain of high aspiration and high achievement for the years to come. Now I can report that the British economy is to this I can report that the British economy is today growing faster than all the other G7 economies. Growth is stronger this year than the Euro area, stronger than Japan, and it is stronger even than America. And after 10 years of sustained growth, Britain's growth will continue into its 59th quarter, the forecast end of the cycle, and then into its 60th, 61st, and 62nd quarter and beyond. Before 1997, we were bottom in the G7 for national income per head. We were seventh out of seven. We were behind Germany, Italy, France, Canada, and Japan. Now we are second only to America and ahead of all these other countries. Yeah. Every, every country has faced a trebling of oil and commodity prices. But while inflation peaked at 4.7% in America, it went as high as 3.3% in the G7. Here in Britain, inflation has never gone beyond. Here, here in Britain, inflation on the same index has never gone beyond 3%. And while, and while, and while on that index it was 4.7% in the United States, it has fallen from 3% to 2.8% here and will fall further this year to 2%. Our forecast, which is also the consensus of independent forecasters, agree that looking ahead to 2008 and 2009, inflation will also be on target. Since 1997, inflation has averaged 1.5%. It is half that of the previous decade. After examining the historical records, it is Britain's best inflation performance for a century. And by holding firm to our commitment to maintain discipline in public sector pay, we will not only secure our 2% inflation target, but we will create the conditions for maintaining the low interest and mortgage rates that since 1997 have been half the 11% average of the previous 20 years. Yeah. 
We will not return to the old boom and bust. Now, Mr. Deputy Speaker, in the last year, investment has grown by 6%, business investment by 7%, inward investment is up 10%. Ten years ago, and for decades before, Britain's economy was held back by chronic underinvestment. We had the lowest investment of the G7 countries. Now, alongside North America, Britain has the G7's fastest growing business investment. It has risen in real terms by 48% since 1997, and overall investment is now 17.5% of our national income. And this year, business investment is forecast to rise again by more than 7%. And the figures that we are publishing today show that as a result of that sustained growth and investment, we have closed the productivity gap with Japan and, Amer and Germany, have narrowed it with America, and have halved it with France. And so, from a platform of high investment, we can now equip ourselves as a country for the next challenge of the global economy, to raise the quantity and quality of investment in physical capital, but also in human, scientific and intellectual capital too. I can also report that in the last year, employment has risen with 220,000 more men and women in work. And it is now almost forgotten that in past decades, Britain suffered higher unemployment not only than America and Japan, but it used to have higher unemployment than France, Germany and the rest of Europe. But today, with unemployment falling, with 2.6 million more people in work, Britain has a higher proportion of men and women in employment than America, Japan and all our other major European neighbours. And the next stage in this budget is to do more to equip British people with the new skills for the new jobs in the decade ahead. So, Mr Deputy Speaker, with consumption forecast to rise in each of the next two years by two and a quarter to two and three quarter percent, investment and exports by more than three percent, we expect that next year also, in 2008, alongside North America, our growth will again be the highest in the G7, between two and a half and three percent, the same rate of growth also in 2009. Under this government, with stability in this as in every budget, the foundation of all we do, we have sustained growth year on year. Yeah. Now, just as our monetary discipline is the foundation for economic strength, fiscal discipline is the foundation of the strength of Britain's finances. Our first fiscal rule is that over the economic cycle, government current expenditures are paid by tax revenues. And in this cycle, we have not only balanced current spending and revenues, but in this economic cycle, I am able to, re I, I am able to report a surplus of £11 billion, Demo demonstrating that for the first time in four decades, Britain has met the golden rule. And this, and this Mr Deputy Speaker, contrasts with the economic cycle from 1970s this contrasts with the economic cycle from 1977 to 1986, where the first fiscal rule under the previous government was not met with a surplus of 11 billion, but missed with a deficit of 140 billion. And in the previous cycle, from 1986 to 1997, the golden rule was missed by the previous government with a deficit of 240 billion. Now, Mr Deputy Speaker, our forecasts of the current balance from 2007-08 to 2011-12 
are affected by one major change in the last year, the sharply lower levels of production and yet higher costs in the North Sea, which has this year reduced tax revenues from 13 billions to 8 billions, and for each year into the future, cut them by an average of 4 billions a year. But even with this reduced revenue, we are on track in the new cycle to meeting the golden rule. Figures from 2007-8 of minus 4, plus 3, plus 6, plus 9, and plus 13 billion surpluses for the years to come. And we have also met our second fiscal rule, that debt should be at a sustainable level, enabling us over the cycle to borrow to meet the country's investment priorities. Debt is actually 44% of national income in America, it's 50% in the euro area, it's 92% in Japan, but in Britain we expect debt from 2007-8 to 2012 to be 38%, 38.5, 38.8, 38.8 and 38.6 in successive years at all times meeting our second fiscal rule. And this contrasts with a debt level we inherited of 44% when we came to power, but we have both kept debt low and at the same time more than doubled capital investment in schools, hospitals and infrastructure from just $18 billion a year in 1997 to today $43 billion of investment a year. So Britain's net borrowing, which in the early 90s went as high as 8% of national income, is this year just 2.7%. In future years, it will be 2.4, falling to 2%, and then falling to 1.8, 1.6, and just 1.4%. And compared to a deficit equivalent to over 100 billions in a single year in the early 90s, the figure for this year and future years will be just 35 billions, one billion less than forecast in the pre-budget report, then falling to 34, 30, 28, 26, and 24 billions, borrowing, therefore, over the economic cycle, not for, current, not for current consumption, but for essential investment in the future of our country. So having met both our fiscal rules, we can now take forward the final work for the next spending round to take us to 2011. With interdepartmental reviews on youth services, disabled children, mental health, employment, the future of our regions and localities, all nearing completion, we will now, in advance of the final expenditure allocations, which will be published in the autumn, set in place a national, regional and local consultation to discuss and debate issues which arise from the work in the reviews underway to build a shared national consensus around future priorities for our country. But I am also able to announce now reforms that will release resources for priority services. In the pre-budget report in December, I said that from now to 2011, asset sales would release 18 billions for frontline services. But because I can announce today the sale of Spectrum, a £6 billion sale of the student loan book, a further financial and corporate sales at home and overseas, asset sales will rise from 18 billions to 36 billions. I've agreed with departments savings in administrative costs worth by 2011 1 billion a year which will also release money for frontline services. The same frontline services will benefit from below inflation spending review settlements for the departments of DWP, HMRC, the Cabinet Office, Treasury, the DCA and the Attorney General's departments, and that will release for frontline services two billions. 
and with efficiency savings of 3% a year, we release in total 26 billion a year by 2010 for frontline services. And just over a decade ago, when unemployment and debt were high and as much as three quarters of all new public spending went to pay for debt and social security costs, it left only one quarter of new spending for health, education, transport, defence and policing. But because of our success in cutting debt by a quarter and claimant count unemployment by a half, these frontline services will, in the coming spending round, receive not 25% of all new spending as in the past, but 75% of all new spending. And in this new spending round, our aim has also been, in line with the Gershon report and with continuing reform, to ensure that resources for improving the frontline services, our service priorities, will continue to grow at the 4 to 4.5% yearly rate of this spending round. And so, Mr Deputy Speaker, these four major levers of change, better use of assets, cutting administrative costs, efficiency savings, lower debt and lower unemployment, will allow me to release new money for frontline priorities, and I can now set out total expenditures for each year to 2011. In 1997, capital investment stood at just 18 billion. It will rise from the 43 billion of this year to 48 billion next year, and then in successive years to 52, 55, 57, and then 60 billion of capital expenditure, more than three times what it was in 1997 as we invest in our future. And consistent with the figures set out in the 2005 and 2006 budget and the most recent pre budget report, I can announce that total expenditure, which is $552 billion this year, will rise by $34 billion next year to $587 billion, then rise in 2008 by $29 billion to $615, rise in 2009 by another $29 billion to $644 billion, and then in 2010 an additional $29 billion to $674 billion as we continue year after year to invest in our future. And for the year to come, I can also allocate money to security and defence. At all times, as the Prime Minister and the Home Secretary have emphasised, we will put the security of the country first. So for the coming year, intelligence and counter-terrorism will receive an additional £86 million. Our budget for security and intelligence, which was just £1 billion in 2001, will be for 2007-08 billion. We also owe a huge debt of gratitude to our armed forces and to support those who serve us with courage and distinction in Afghanistan, Iraq and in other demanding international commitments. I am allocating the Secretary for Defence an additional $400 million for this year alone. For the coming year, starting next month in April, I can also confirm that the money available for investment and reform in the NHS in England will be £8 billion more than this year. It is the biggest cash increase ever. It is a cash rise of 10%, 7% in real terms. For the future years from 2008 to 2011, allocations will be made in the spending review later this year. But taking the whole of the United Kingdom together, I expect total additional expenditure on the NHS from April this year to be almost £10 billion above last year, also a 10% rise in national health service expenditure. I have, examined, I have examined a proposal to introduce what is called a third fiscal rule. 
but I can tell the House it would require us to cut spending this year alone by £21 billion, and I have therefore rejected that rule. Now, Mr Deputy Speaker, in setting the right balance between tax spending and the stability of the economy, we will not take risks or break from the stability essential to our long-term economic performance. And let me be absolutely clear, with the economy now growing strongly, faster than any other major economy, this is not a time for a fiscal loosening. The changes I make today will be broadly neutral for the public finances and overall, which is the right decision for Britain at, the time of this, economic, at this time in the economic cycle. But it is also right to proceed today with major reforms and modernisation that will prepare and equip Britain for all the long-term challenges ahead. Reforms that are now possible because they build on the higher employment, investment and the greater stability of the last 10 years. Reforms that focus on the three major priorities vital to our future. The first is to promote long-term investment and environmentally sustainable growth, and that is necessary now and in the future to Britain's success in the global economy. The second is to encourage work and reward savings, which is vital to the weak to weak prosperity of every family in the country. And the third is to support and strengthen families, and that is essential to the welfare of parents and children and the stability of family life. Now, first, to lead in global competition, and particularly to secure our place in the high-value-added, investment-driven growth sectors of the future, from modern manufacturing and the creative industries to business and financial services in the city, Britain must champion open markets, flexibility, free trade and an open and inclusive globalisation, not protectionism. And here the right policy for industry is to combine the most modern and flexible competition regime, including, as announced today, the further extension of risk-based regulation into employment tribunals with the most effective incentives and support for British investment and innovation. My view is that in all the advanced industrial economies, public and private investment in the great new drivers of growth, innovation and education will need to rise towards 10% of national income and as part of our plan to double investment in science, I can announce in the next four years public investment in science will rise from 5 billion this year to by 2010 6.3 billion, a 25% cash increase in the science budget of our country. The Secretary for Industry is also announcing today £100 million competition for Britain to lead in high-tech innovation, challenging universities and businesses to come together from medical research to environmental transport to convert what are British scientific breakthroughs into British commercial successes and jobs. In 1997, I cut corporation tax from 33 pence to 31 pence and then to 30 pence. Having continued to look carefully at the requirements for a modern corporate tax system for the global economy, I propose the following changes that reflect the increasing importance in investment decisions of research and development, skills, intellectual property and environmental innovations. I propose to modernise the system of capital allowances, many first introduced for the needs of the post-war economy, by simplifying them to just two categories based on how long an asset will last. I will provide more generous relief for long-life assets, raising the relief from 6% to 10%, at a cost to the Treasury of 380 million in 2009, I will phase out the relief worth 230 million, originally intended for industrial buildings, but now poorly targeted. I will align allowances for plant and machinery 
with the economic rate of depreciation at 20%, I will increase the value of the main R&D tax credit by an extra £100 million. I will expand the scope for business to draw on environmental capital allowances by an extra £40 million, while leaving the overall tax rate for North Sea companies unchanged. From April 2008, for all businesses, I will also put in place a new annual 100% investment allowance of £50,000. And because our goal, Mr Deputy Speaker, is and will continue to be the most competitive business tax regime of the major economies, I have decided to cut mainstream corporation tax from April 2008 from 30p down to 28p, at 28 pence, a rate lower than America, Germany, France, Japan and all our major competitors. Britain's corporate tax regime now the lowest, the lowest of all the major economies. Changes I will announce in this budget will also improve the position of the self-employed, but I do need to act to deal with individuals artificially incorporating small companies to avoid paying the due share of tax. A practice, if left unaddressed, would cost the rest of the taxpaying population billions of pounds, and I will take action in a way that will not raise the tax burden on the self-employed and small businesses overall. To reduce the tax difference between self-employment and small company corporation, I will raise the small company's rate in three stages, from 20p this year to 22p. I will recycle all these revenues to legitimate small businesses investing for the future. Small firms will be able to claim the new 100% relief for new capital investment up to 50,000. They will be able to claim 175% tax credit for R&D and claim the new tax credit for environmental investment. A small company with profits of 150,000 and investing 50,000 of this will effectively pay tax of just 15%. A firm investing the same from profits of 100,000 will pay tax of 11% lower than today. I have one further announcement on business. When the Northern Ireland Secretary and I meet all the Northern Ireland parties tomorrow morning, we will announce details of a new Northern Ireland Innovation Fund, a new fund for industry and jobs to be available for a restored executive, the restored executive we all want to see. Yeah. Mr Deputy Speaker, six months ago, when we published the Stern Report, we set a framework for environmental action that combined a call to personal and social responsibility with European and international cooperation. Since then, we have secured support for a strengthened European carbon trading scheme on the road to a global scheme, a new agreement for 2020 on cutting European emissions by at least 20% and potentially 30. And I can also report that we have agreed bilateral partnerships with China on clean coal, Brazil, Mozambique and South Africa on biofuels, India on clean energy investment, Mexico on carbon markets, Norway on carbon capture and storage. And the Secretary for Industry is announcing today that Britain will launch a competition to go ahead with our first British full-scale carbon capture and storage demonstration. We will also lead the way with developing countries to address climate change. And I can also announce financial support of £50 million for a path-breaking 10-country initiative across Central Africa to prevent the destruction of the second-largest rainforest in the world. Led by Nobel Prize winner Mangari Matai, it will help the livelihoods of 50 million people in these 10 countries whose livelihoods are now under threat. Environmental action requires us to co cooperate internationally also in new ways. 
So to help meet our commitment to international poverty reduction through environmental protection, I will allocate to the Environmental Transformation Fund, jointly run by the Secretaries for International Development and the Environment, a total of £800 million for the coming spending round. At home and abroad, the test we must apply is what is the most environmentally effective, economically efficient and socially equitable way of reducing emissions. First, through better information and incentives. Second, through higher standards and investment. Homes account for one quarter of carbon emissions. And our objectives is low carbon homes benefiting the climate through lower emissions, consumers through lower bills. And having already announced measures to speed up home insulation, to design out energy wasting products, We've been consulting with the banks and building societies, encouraging them to create a new market of mortgages for immediate capital investment in energy efficiency that would cut consumption and cut bills that in the end not only pays for itself, but increases the sale value of the home. To play our part in this, we are offering grants of £300 to £4,000 for pensioners and others installing insulation and central heating. We will from next month increase by 50% micro-generation grants for homes. I can confirm that un until 2012, all new zero-carbon homes up to half a million pounds will be exempt from stamp duty. I've asked Ofgem to examine how green homes can benefit more from the prices paid when they become not just sources of clean energy for themselves, but sell energy back to the grid. And I'm placing in the Library of the House of Commons the representations the Foreign Secretary and Minister for Europe and I are making to European ministers for a European-wide decision that would reduce the rate of VAT from 17.5% to 5% on energy-saving and environmentally friendly products in the home. Our objectives, business accounts for 40% of emissions, and our objective is we have the most economically competitive and environmentally sustainable companies too. Since 1997, business and government together have achieved a 25% reduction in the carbon intensity of the economy. And to complement the new environmental tax credit I have just announced, the advice, support and incentives available from business links and our regional development agencies to small businesses for environmental improvement, innovation and energy audits of their work will rise from £140 million this year to £240 million in the coming year. To encourage recycling and to reduce landfill, the landfill tax will, from April next year, rise by £8 each year to 2011. To reduce the environmental impact of quarrying, the aggregate levy, which has been frozen since its introduction, will rise in April 2008 from 160 to 195 per tonne. These measures are membership of the European Emissions Trading Scheme and the inflation increase I propose from next April in the climate change levy will together each year contribute 16 million tonnes of carbon reductions. As recommended by the Barker Report, and now today by the Lions Report, and in line with representations from the Federation of Small Businesses, commercial property lying empty should not be, continue to be given such generous business rate relief, particularly because this leads to higher rents in the areas with highest demand. So to encourage the better use of commercial premises, I will restrict the relief available for empty industrial properties to six months, for empty offices and retail to three months, and there will be special exemptions for charities. Transport accounts for a quarter of emissions. Our objective for Britain is the lowest carbon cars using the least polluting fuels. 
average new car emissions are around 167 grams of carbon dioxide. A medium-term objective is 100 grams per kilometre. We want Britain to lead in developing the next generation of low and no carbon vehicles and fuels. The Transport Secretary and I have invited Sir Nicholas Sturm and the Vice-Chancellor of Aston University, Professor King, to report to us on the energy-saving potential of innovation in this area. Renewable transport fuel obligations mean biofuels will, by 2010, account for 5% of all fuel in road vehicles, by 2020, potentially 10%. So I am extending to 2010 the biofuels duty differential worth 20 pence per litre, a fuel duty discount of 40%. I'm also extending to 2012 the biogas incentive worth 40 pence per litre, a discount of over 60%. For this year, I will maintain the differential for rebated oils. I can also announce we will triple our funding for targeted enforcement against unfair competition from haulier companies from outside the United Kingdom. From a one-ban system of vehicle excise duty, that we inherited in 1997, Britain now has environmentally graduated bans. And that is one reason why the proportion of least polluting cars on our roads has risen by 30%, while that of the most polluting cars has fallen. So there are potential gains from enhancing this incentive. In addition to maintaining a zero rate for the lowest ban, aligning petrol and diesel rates at the diesel rate, raising the rates by five pounds each year for the next three years, and for band F by 10 pounds this year, I propose an immediate 30% cut in band B from a top rate of £50 down to £35 for the most fuel-efficient cars. And that will be matched by moving the top band 30% higher to £300 and then again to £400 next year, measures that will, taken together, cut vehicle emissions since 1997 by 2 million tonnes. For the coming year, I will set fuel duty rises at 2 pence a litre for 2008, 2 pence. For 2009, 1.8 pence. But I will defer this year's annual fuel duty increase by six months to October. Mr Deputy Speaker, I have had representations to put VAT on airline tickets, a 17.5% rise in the cost of airline travel. I have investigated the detail of this proposal. It, 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 gives me, it gives me no pleasure to have to tell the House that the substance of this measure has not been properly thought through. It would, it, would apply, it would apply only to domestic flights. Business would be able to claim back the VAT. Even by 2020, it would save just 50,000 carbon tonnes, less savings in one year than achieved by the climate change levy in just one week. So I, have, so, I have, so I have rejected this proposal. So I have rejected this proposal in favour of the six million tonnes of carbon saving achieved by the fairer and more environmentally efficient measures I am outlining in the budget today. I propose only the normal indexation of alcohol duties, with one exception. From midnight on Sunday, beer will rise by one pence a pint, cider by one pence a litre, wine five pence a bottle, sparkling wine seven pence, but for the tenth budget in a row, I will freeze duty on spirits. While, while I will go ahead from six, while I will go ahead from 6 p.m. tonight with the annual inflation rise on a packet of cigarettes,
20 cigarettes of 11 pence, I want us to do more to support the health advice campaign initiated by the Health Secretary with a new incentive to encourage people wishing to give up smoking for a year from July the 1st for nicotine replacement and other products that help smokers to quit, I'm cutting VAT to the lowest I can from 17.5% to 5%. Yeah. I propose to align the bottom two rates of gaming duty at 15% and for the largest casinos set a 50 pence rate. Our culture of volunteering and giving defines Britain as a fair and compassionate society. And to help small local community organisations, the Minister for the Third Sector is announcing for the years to 2011 a new fund for local communities worth £80 million. Hundreds of millions of giving is eligible for tax relief through gift aid, but not currently claimed. And the Chancellor of the Duchy of Lancaster and I will consult with the charitable sector on measures that we will fund to increase take-up of gift aid. And in the run-up to the spending review, the Culture Secretary and I will examine the help we can give the churches and heritage buildings that are at the heart of so many of our communities. Now, I turn to the tax incentives we propose to help more people into jobs and to make work pay. Over 1.5 million low-income workers in Britain receive the working tax credit, worth to them on average £48 a week. In making work pay, people on low incomes get more benefit from the working tax credit than either the minimum wage or any other tax measure, whether it be the 10p rate or personal allowances. If I invested a billion pounds in helping low-income workers through raising personal allowances, they would be only 68 pence a week better off. If I used the same money to lower the 10p rate, they would be just 67 pence a week better off. But by using the same money to extend the working tax credit, they are £7.10 a week better off, £370 a year. And it is a clear incentive to take jobs, to gain skills, and to work your way up from a lower-paid job into a better-paid one. So this budget will invest over £1 billion a year in raising the value of the working tax credit, so building on the minimum wage of £5.52 from October, for the parent in full-time work with one child, it will rise to 7.70 per hour because of the working tax credit, that is £290 for a 35-hour week. Now, since 1997, loan parent employment has risen from under 45% to over 56%. 300,000 more loan parents are now in work. And in addition to helping them through increasing the working tax credit, I'll also extend the £40 a week in-work bonus paid for their first 12 months in work to loan parents. In London, this bonus will be extended to £60. And for up to 50,000 workless parents undertaking training, we will extend access to free child care. Now, with this additional support to make work pay and our new conditionality announced by the Secretary for Work a few days ago, and building also on the successful employment partnerships in the New Deal, we are now able to announce a partnership for jobs with our major retail companies, Tesco's, Sainsbury's, Asda, B&Q, Marks and & Spencer's, and the British Retail Consortium, an agreement that in every part of the country, unemployed men and women who successfully pass work trials or induction courses will be considered for jobs by these leading firms, and it is a new and innovative partnership that will, across the sector over the coming five years, help create 5,000 jobs in Wales, 10,000 jobs in Scotland. In total for Britain, it will help 100,000 men and women find employment in our country. Since 1997, the numbers of 16 to 24 year olds in full time education, employment, or training has increased from 5.2 million to 5.8 million. For those who have fallen through the net, over the next spending period, we will do more. 
So we're setting aside new funds today so that 50,000 out-of-work 16- to 70-year-olds who sign activity and learning agreements will now receive a training wage in return for them agreeing to gain skills. And for small companies who take on an employee needing to acquire the most basic of skills, we will also offer £2,000 training help per employee and, in some cases, £3,000 for training. There are 125,000 employees who, through no fault of their own, when their employer became insolvent, lost their work pension. And the Secretary for Work and Pensions is announcing today that he will extend the financial assistance scheme from its, from its present budget of £2 billion to a total of £8 billion. Every one of the 125,000 workers will now receive help. And reporting later this year, he will also investigate in full the assets within the effective schemes and how these funds can also now help those who have lost their pensions. Now, Mr Deputy Speaker, in meeting our objectives to support families and children, I have also received representation for the return of the married couples allowance and for a transferable tax allowance between husbands and wives with children under five. On closer inspection, <laughs> I've, I've discovered that such a proposal would penalise three million widows and their children who would be denied this allowance. It would also penalise wives or husbands who had been left by their spouse. And I have discovered that the transferable tax allowance earmarked for families with children under five would be available to just under one million married couples. And I can tell the House that far from rewarding marriage, it would exclude the vast majority of the 11 million married couples in this country and the 11 million children who would be excluded and left out from this help. You do not support marriage. You do not support marriage by penalising most married couples and 11 million children. Mr Deputy Speaker, it is right to recognise marriage in the tax system, but in ways that do not penalise children through the arrangements we make for assets to be transferred free of tax between husband and wife in inheritance tax and capital gains tax. I can announce the annual tax exemption for capital gains will rise from £8,800 to £9,200. It will be £18,400 for married couples. I can announce the inheritance tax allowance, which is 285000 today, will rise in each year and will in 2010 be increased to 350000 ensuring that 94% of estates do not pay inheritance tax. I am also making changes in VAT today, which will especially help grandmothers and grandfathers living with their sons and daughters. I can announce that for a specified list of alterations to housing to support the needs of older people, I will again reduce the rate of VAT from 17.5% to 5%. Yeah. For many families, especially young couples, the major concern is affordable homes. To further our ambition for this Parliament and the, and the last of 2 million new owner-occupiers, the Secretary for Communities is launching the first stage of a new shared equity competition that will bring homes within the reach of first-time buyers. I also want to send a signal about the importance we attach to encouraging savings. So while maintaining our savings rate at 10 pence, I will extend for the 17 million men and women with ISAs the amount of cash that, we can save, that can be saved tax-free from £3,000, raising it by 20% in April next year to £3,600. 
Mr Deputy Speaker, after independent taxation was introduced by the previous government on income, there has been general agreement that the best way to help the income of families with children is to raise child benefit and to help all children. For the first child of all parents, child benefit was £11 a week in 1997. This year it is £17.45. I can announce today we will raise child benefit annually for the first child in three successive stages to 2010, raising child benefit by a total of 15% to £20 for the first child. So child benefit, which was £575 a year in 1997, will by 2010 be over £1,000. For 6 million families on both child benefit and child tax credit, that is the vast majority of families, the minimum payment, which was just £11 in 1997, will rise to £31, a rise from £575 a year to £1,600 a year. And I can also do more to help those who need it most. Help for the poorest child, which in 1997 was £28 a week and is today £61, will now rise in three successive stages by more than 25% to £75 a week, almost three times the 1997 level, a measure that, with others, will lift out of poverty 200,000 more children. And with children's credits offsetting income tax liabilities, the effective point at which a family with two children starts paying income tax, which was £16,000 in 1997 and is £22,500 now, will be £24,250 in April 2009. Tax credits, therefore, effectively wiping out income tax liability until earnings of £450 a week. We will match financial support for children with more help for parents to do the best by their children. I've set aside funds for expanding Childline, Parentline Plus and the services parents and children use and rely on. We now know the importance of early years learning in developing the talents of children and we know the significance of investment early to determine the qualifications and success they have later. So the Education Secretary and I have today made available the funds for each of the years to 2010 to honour our promise that there will be six children's centres in the typical constituency, 3,500 children's centres in total. We have also set aside funds for the years to 2010 so that we can expand the numbers of free nursery education, meeting our promise to raise nursery hours for every three and four year old from 12 and a half hours to 15 hours a week. And to encourage the community use of school sports facilities, we will remove the VAT restriction and enable academies to make their sports facilities available to the local community. I am also able today, Mr Deputy Speaker, to take several hundred thousands of today's pensioners out of income tax. When we came to power, elderly citizens started to pay income tax when their income exceeded 5,200. Today, no tax is paid before an income of 7,280. For those under 75, the tax-free allowance will rise in three stages, from 7,280 to 8,990 to 9,500, and then to 9,770 in 2011. That is a tax-free allowance that is almost twice as much as in 1997. For those over 75, the tax-free allowance will rise annually from £7,400 to, by 2011, £10,000. Couples under 75 will have a tax-free married allowance up to 19,540 for a couple over 75 up to 20,000. 
Measures in this budget mean that we will lift out of income tax a total of 600,000 pensioners in this country. For elderly people with either no works pension or small works pension, I can confirm that we will raise the pension credit guarantee from £114 a week this year to £119, rising to £130 in 2009-10. The pension credit will be raised by earnings as we move towards our commitment to link the state pension to earnings. So, Mr Deputy Speaker, I have focused support on families by raising child benefits and child tax credits and taken 200,000 more children out of poverty. I have done more to support pensioners by raising the level of tax-free allowances. I have improved work incentives for lower-income families with children by raising the minimum income from work to make work pay to, for many, nearly £300 for a 35-hour week. And my aim in all measures today is a fair system for pensioners and families with children. So having put in place more focused ways of incentivising work and directly supporting children and pensioners at a cost of three billions a year, I can now return income tax to just two rates by removing the 10p band on non-savings income. I can also announce that the point at which people start paying top rate income tax will from April 2009 not be the annual income of 38,000, but 43,000. And I will align the income tax system with the national insurance system, with its ceiling set at the same threshold of 43,000, thereby creating a tax system for income that has just two rates and two thresholds. And as a result of the measures today, 58% of pensioners over 65 will not pay income tax. Six million out of seven million families with children are much better off and the incentive to work is increased by, for many, up to £350 a year. And with the decisions I have made today, I am also able to announce we will invest more in our schools and in education. Separate announcements will be made later for Scotland, Wales and Northern Ireland, but education spending in England, which was £29 billion in 1997, is £60 billion this year, will be £64 billion next year, then rise to 67 billion and then 70 billion, rising in 2010 to 74 billions for education. Average rises of 5% cash each year for the next three years. It enable us, enables us to provide one to one tuition for 600,000 children, do more to double apprenticeships numbers to 500,000, increase higher education student numbers to 1.2 million, make every school an extended community school and cash spending per pupil, which was 2,500 in 1997, will from now to 2010 rise by a further 20%, 10% in real terms, to £6,600 per pupil, continuing to narrow the gap in investment between state and private school pupils. And education spending will be rising as a share of national income from the 4.5% that we inherited in 1997 to 5.6% of national income in 2010. And as the Education Secretary will set out by changing the education leaving age, we will, for the first time in our country's history, make education a right for every young person until the age of 18. So, Mr Deputy Speaker, I have taken 600,000 pensions out of tax, raised child benefit in three stages to £20, I've cut corporation tax from 30 pence to 28 pounds. I've increased education spending to its highest level ever. This is a budget for British. This is a budget for Britain's families. This is a budget for fairness, 
and this is a budget for the future. And I have one further announcement. With the other decisions I have made today, we are able to hold to our pledge made at the election not to raise the basic rate of income tax, indeed to reward work to ensure working families are better off and to make the tax system fairer, I will from next April cut the basic rate of income tax from 22 pence to 20 pence. It is the lowest basic rate. It is the lowest basic rate for 75 years, and I commend this budget to the House. Guardian Unlimited.